This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, the crew is weirdly genre-savvy. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow. My name is Gapwin, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we watched another classic. It's one of the ones everyone remembers. Mm-hmm. It gave us Beard Spock. Yes, Beard Spock. It's Spock with a beard, and it looks kind of menacing, honestly. This is Star Trek, the original series, episode Mirror Mirror. And not on the wall, but like... It's like mirroring of things, but we'll get to that. This is the first episode to use the concept of parallel universes. As opposed to antimatter universes. Yeah, slightly different. Yes. (laughs) Everything's almost the same, but not quite. This is something that other series use to pretty good effect here and there. This exact uh, parallel universe, the evil Terran Empire universe, was used for a couple episodes in Deep Space Nine. Oh, more than just a couple. Yeah, it's like one episode a season of Deep Space Nine, it seemed like. I'm pretty sure there were only two of those. I think I remember like three or four, actually. Hmm. But uh, I'll have to go back and check. Yeah, we can see. So these did in DS9. They did it for an episode of Enterprise. I'm incredibly disappointed because uh, Star Trek Nemesis, the last of the Next Generation movies, was supposed to be this. Oh, that would have been so much better. That, this was the plan before they did some rewrites and got got hit by the writer's strike and it turned into evil clone Picard. So you have an evil clone of yourself that the Romulans grew for some reason because you are the supremo badass of the Federation as opposed to, I don't know, just cloning more of themselves? Or one of the admirals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, well, we need to get the head of the strategic planners of the Federation. Let's clone one of the guys on the front lines. Eh? <laughs> Unless there's some evil like plan to like do a switcheroo, like you know you've been replaced by the evil version of yourself, but then you have to like age him up somehow medically, and it's kind of weird. Anyway, <laughs> this concept is usually used in Star Trek and some other series to give the actors a really good chance to chew the scenery. We definitely got that here. Yes, you do. This is these are always some of my favorite episodes of any sci-fi TV show. Like they did they did this in Stargate a few times and did some really amazing things with it. Like that episode where they where they uh, had a bunch of different versions for uh different realities show up and like one of them was evil. <laughs> yeah, that was just yeah. fun. Yes. <laughs> so, like you've had it on all of the, you know, old 90s golden age stuff. And a lot of the stuff from this era did something analogous. So it's it's well-trodden soil. I, I think this was one of the earlier ones, though. Not well-codified before this point, but, you know, you know, it's been definitely been an explosion since about that era. And, uh, heck, it, you know, it, you know, one of my favorite uh, you know, you know, episodes in uh, Red Dwarf uh, involved sort of the evil twin sort of thing. But I think I already talked about that one before. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was thinking about that one, too. That one was fun. We've encountered this writer before, but not on yes. Star Trek, because we watch things out of order. Yes. <laughs> this was written by Jerome Bixby, who wrote stories that were used in the Twilight Zone, wrote four episodes of Star Trek, and the thing that we are familiar with him for is the screenplay for Man from Earth. So, uh, we're, we're like, going back in time, but also forward in time. It's I'm confused. It's fun, because you get to watch... 
the writing style evolve. This this is not as well written. <laughs> yeah. By any stretch. And uh, he, he did some uh, you know some other stuff as well, you know, uh, including Men into Space. He also uh, wrote the final DS9 Mirror Mirror episode. So he started Mirror Mirror and then he ended Mirror Mirror. So it's it's very congruent, very reflective. Yes, this is mostly a bottle episode, so we only have one particular guest star, who is Barbara Luna as Lieutenant Marlena Monroe or Morrow. It's hard to read that name. <laughs> uh, my notes didn't have her last you know, the character's last name, but yes. <laughs> but uh, B- Barbara here, uh, she shows up in a number of things. Uh, including Fantasy Island, so that meant she get to, gets to hang out, you know, got to hang out with Ricardo. That's probably a lot more fun than hanging out with Shatner. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's jump in because there's I don't know what to talk about in this one, but we may as well finish the the episode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> let's do the thing. <laughs> Kirk, Scotty, McCoy, and Ahura, for some reason, are talking to some people called the Halcon. Yes, uh, her is there because she's communication expert and they're there to communicate. Yeah, that's how that works. Yes. (laughs) Maybe she's just bored. I want to go down more away missions. They are negotiating for the rights to mine dilithium from the Halcon planet, but they are absolute pacifists, which means that in their beliefs, even though the Federation is a peaceful entity, the possibility that anything they trade with them could be used to harm any individual in any way at any point in time is completely unacceptable. So they're they're a bit on the extreme side there as far as their pacifism goes, but uh, I guess good on them for kick- sticking to their guns. Kirk continues the discussion, but a storm is brewing and it cuts them off and he decides that it's time to go. It's an ion storm apparently, which I didn't know gave you normal planet lightning, but... Okay. I guess that's I guess that's how uh, lightning comes about, guys. That's uh, that's totally legit Star Trek science now. <laughs> <laughs> that all lightning storms are the result of storms in space. <laughs> the Halcon leader reminds Kirk that he has the power to take what they want if they wanted to, and Kirk turns around and smiles and said, "Yes, but we won't," and then beams out. So very friendly of him. Eh? You know, I, I hope everything uh, with this negotiation turns out well for everybody. We see the transporter room where everything is going wrong. Uh-oh. The landing party appears and then disappears and then sort of appears and then is gone for good. The Enterprise has a weird seizure and is suddenly pointing the wrong direction and has little spiky bits on it. Yeah, well, we would flipped around and uh, given it a, a, an edginess uh, makeover. Kirk and Co. materialize in different uniforms. Hmm, well, that was weirdly convenient. Yeah, they change clothes. They're in weird, like, flowier, sort of metallic-y fabric stuff. It's a lot looser than their normal uniforms. It's a casual, uh, well, wherever this place is, Friday. <laughs> and Uhura got some abs. Power stomach. Yeah. Like, Very exposed. It, it's the midriff top with a shorter skirt than normal, but she's got some serious abs going on. Uhura can kick your butt. Yeah, she could. I guess that she's like a dancer. I guess that's what she get. Get your moves on. Also, they see Spock, who now has a goatee. Oh, Spock, when'd you grow that? Beard Spock asks Kirk how the mission is going. He's a bit confused, but he just says, yep, no, no change. Everything's good. And Spock then orders them to bombard the planet. 
okay, so no, no change, then, you know, bound to plan B, then. Well, what's plan B? Uh, murder. Uh, oh. He then chastises the lieutenant who was working the transporter for not compensating properly for the storm and asks for something called an agonizer. Hmm. This doesn't sound too friendly. Uh, Mr. Kyle, how about you just not give him this agonizer device? Yeah, Mr. Kyle tries. He's really scared. He begs Spock not to, but Spock takes a small box from his belt, places it on his shoulder, and apparently causes him incredible pain. Yeah, so uh, why do you just carry that around with you? Seems like everyone does. Seems like a terrible idea. Because, <laughs> you know, independent of the punishment of, like, you know, what they're trying to sort of demonstrate here, if some jerk face just kind of runs up to you, grabs it, and slaps it on your chest, or even uses their own on you, that's just going to cause all sorts of problems. Yep, and we've seen how well they hold on to their phasers in this show. Yes. Like, this is not going to end well for anyone. Then again, we're in another universe, maybe... Maybe things work differently as far as holding on to their own personal possessions. Spock asks Kirk if they're feeling okay because the beam out was weird and Kirk jumps at the opportunity to leave. Goes, okay, nope, we need a checkup, we're out. Yeah, yeah, McCoy's here. Um, McCoy, let's go have our heads examined. Uh, let's go. Bye. In sickbay, the party decides what in the world is going on. Yeah, uh, so, so, so this is about the point where, like, wait a moment, everyone here is being... Very genre savvy, at least from our regular crew's uh, point of view. They're like catching on that, oh, maybe we should just shut up and get somewhere private to talk, which, you know, uh, you know like the first season, I might not have, you know, uh, you know, they might not have done that. So it is a little weird how easily they just randomly slip into these roles. It's just immediate. Oh, Spock has a beard. Uh, pretend everything's fine. Be evil. <laughs> Well, maybe this is the first time they've been to a parallel dimension like this. Well, mm. apparently it isn't because Kirk just goes, what if this is a parallel dimension? And the transporter sent us here. I've figured it out. In fact, this little bit of scene here is kind of weird because he kind of, like, someone starts saying something and Kirk's, like, jumping in. It's like, I'm going to complete that thought. <laughs> yeah, it's just Kirk explaining what's happening. Kirk yes. knows what's going on and he just tells everyone under the guise of figuring it out, but in like 10 minutes. I will say, though, that you know, it's it's probably good that they get a lot of this sort of sorted out earlier in the episode so they don't dwell on it later. That is true. They need to figure out a way to get back home, but first they need to figure out how to save the Halkins. Because they're going to get shot to death, I guess. Because yeah, uh, you know, the whole murder plan is a, a default for these, uh, these crazy fascists that we're hanging out with now. Yeah, don't feel good about that. Seems kind of, I don't know, unethical to just let them be murdered by Spock. Kirk tells Scotty to short out the phasers so it looks like the storm damaged them. Uhura goes to the bridge to learn what their orders were from Starfleet, and Kirk and McCoy read up on what's going on in the ship's library. Oh, very responsible there, everyone. Um, I, I will also add that Uhura in, interrupts uh, you know, the, Kirk's ordering McCoy there for a moment because uh, she's apparently filled with self-doubt and she needs to be reassured because in that situation... I too would probably kind of freaked out. So yeah, though she's it's unfortunate that she's the only one who has a breakdown and freaks out. Like they should all be yes. freaked out. Yes, you know, uh, you know, you know, McCoy. I think would be probably the one who's like the least uh, upset by all this because like eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, he's drunk yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scotty's like, I'm in a ship that's not my own. 
I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pull all this magical, you know, you know, nonsense we need to do to get out of here off, because who knows if everything's backwards and reversed and evilly designed, whatever, I might not be able to do it. So maybe my skills can be useless here. And Kirk's like, well, I got to keep my crew safe, but do I have obligation to the crew that's already here at this point? And he can be you know, an interesting sort of pulling apart of, uh, of his uh, conflicts there. And it's like, you know, maybe I could try to, you know, you know, push this situation in a different direction, which he kind of is doing there. But, you know, the, you know, there could be a whole moral dilemma of, should I interfere here? Is this a, like a prime directive thing in a matter of weirdness uh, and all this sort of stuff? There's there's much opportunity here, but we only have an hour, so we have to cut keep it to just lady, I guess. There could have been hmm. any kind of discussion. That would have been yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Ahura gets to the bridge, finds Sulu and Chekhov getting ready to destroy the planet. Sulu goes to Uhura and harasses her for a bit until she slaps him away just as Kirk enters. Yeah, bad Sulu. Don't don't be like that. This is not that different, though. He does get more in her in, in her personal space, but I guess it's it's different for Sulu, but not other people on the crew. No more so than when he was drunk in the in the other episode. Forgot about that. Probably was trying to forget. <laughs> <laughs> Ara tells Kirk that they are ordered to destroy the planet if the Hulkans don't cooperate with no options for any other course of action. Meanwhile, Scotty was locked out of the room for the phasers by a big old guard and so wasn't able to turn them off. Yes, and uh, this is where we find out that Sulu's the security chief and uh, only with his approval can people go into certain areas of the ship. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the first time they've ever said what Sulu's job is. Which I'm not sure if that's like his normal job in the in the regular universe, but uh, it's definitely in the case in here. Kirk, who is now out of options, orders them to not fire and instead contacts the Halkin and tells them they have 12 hours to cooperate to their demands. But the Halkins say that they would rather be destroyed than lose who they are as a people. Well, once again, we're sticking to our guns, but this is the mere universe. Why are you guys not like super okay with people being killed because hmm i'm confused now i guess it only affected the federation i, I guess which actually uh, you know looked in you know some of the you know the, the uh, you know behind the scenes stuff and apparently that's what the original uh, intent was but it you know drifted away from that to be more all everybody so like the helkins didn't get the rewrite but spock did <laughs> everyone on the bridge is pretty shocked by this change of plan like kirk runs off and is then followed by chekov into the turbo lift Hello, Chekhov. How are you doing? You seem friendly today. Chekhov ambushes Kirk with a few goons as soon as they leave the elevator, and his plan is to kill Kirk because if he kills the captain, they all move up once in rank. Oh, that seems like a very cutthroat sort of a uh, ship here. After a brief fight, one of Chekhov's men betrays him and sides with the captain just before Kirk's own guards show up and take Chekhov off to something called the booth. The booth. This is going to be a phone booth, isn't it? Yeah, sure. He's going to change into Superman and... Fly away. And save the day. <laughs> so, but, but it's like, seriously, Kirk, this seems like a menacing thing. You should maybe try to put some things together and maybe try to steer the situation. But I don't know. I guess Chekhov did, did just try to kill him. So maybe he's okay with it. <laughs> I suppose. You could, yeah, check into that. Yeah. <laughs> the last time you saw a booth, it was those disintegration thingies on the war planet. Indeed. So uh, booth should be something you, you have particular dislike of. Generally, Kirk, tired from his attempted assassination, 
goes back to his quarters and is joined by McCoy and Scotty as they ask the computer to just basically calculate everything they already know. The, the upshot of this is they find out that they can use the transporter to get back. Excellent. We have a solution, as opposed to a half-assed guess. Scotty says he can rework the engines so that they will power the transporters and do what they need, but they're going to need a her to create a distraction on the bridge later so that they don't catch on to what they're doing. Because in a ship like this, you know, security has already been demonstrated to be very tight. So, yeah, there might be suspicion and, you know, paranoia. And that seems to be one of the general rules here is that everyone's kind of out to get each other. At this point, I guess because this is the first chance they've had a little bit of downtime, they have the realization that their evil counterparts are probably on their ship. Uh-oh. Is, that, is evil Kirk taking over and, and flying the Enterprise into the planet? We immediately cut to evil Kirk being arrested by Spock. Oh. And he's just thrown in prison with the rest of the landing party. So I guess, you know, our normal Spock is actually also genre savvy today. <laughs> yep, Spock always knows what's up. Kirk then meets up with Beard Spock, who's glad that Kirk was not killed because he doesn't want to be captain and have a big old target painted on his back. Yeah, and given what we've seen so far, that seems like a very logical thing. They view Chekhov being tortured in what is revealed to be the agony booth, just to show us that things are still awful. You know, just so we're, not, we're clear, everybody, these guys are, in fact, torturing Chekhov. Apparently to death, because they ask if he wants to give him the full course, and Kirk's like, I haven't decided yet. But it's Warren's death, I haven't decided yet. Spock tells Kirk that he has disobeyed orders from Starfleet Command and is now in danger, which is unfortunate since he doesn't want to be captain. It's like, well, I, I will have to kill you, otherwise someone will probably kill me, Captain uh, don't make it so I have to kill you, please. Spock then leaves and Kirk orders Chekhov be let go and just confined to quarters. So more confusing stuff from Captain Kirk that everyone doesn't question. Captain Kirk here, he's either plotting something or he's trying to get himself killed? Scotty and McCoy get into engineering where they start working on the transporter. Can get out of here. Meanwhile, Kirk goes back to his quarters and finds a woman laying on the bed. Oh, uh, hello, lady. Uh, this isn't your quarters. What are you doing here? This whole thing is awkward and long and slowly paced, so we're going to have a quick summary in a summary here. <laughs> <laughs> to make a long story short. Kirk learns this is Marlena, who is his concubine or some such awful uh, thing. She's the captain's woman I think is the term that was used at some point. That's what they call, that's what they say. Spock calls, says that he's now been ordered to kill Kirk if he doesn't destroy the planet by daybreak. Marlena says that he will now have to kill Spock, which is too bad. And she tells him about the Tantalus Field, which is apparently a magic thingy-mabob that lets him watch anyone he wants on TV and then kill them by hitting a button. Yeah, so it's basically... You know, the the device that everyone sort of comes up with in their heads when they learn about the transporters to Star Trek eventually. That, what if you're able to sort of lock on to people from, you know, hundreds of miles away and you could you could beam the places. We don't necessarily have to beam them anywhere. So, why can't I just sort of, like, randomly murder people with this? Yeah, pretty much that. Yeah. <laughs> She spends a long time asking Kirk about his plans. Kirk pretends to know what's going on, even though he has no idea. There's some weird misunderstanding where he has to go off and do things, and she thinks that means she's being dumped. But then he kisses her and makes everything okay, I guess, and then leaves. Yeah, the, their interactions are kind of 
very drama of the era. <laughs> also, this is a good 15 minutes of the middle of the episode is this one scene. And, uh, apparently she, uh, the, the episode got, uh, it's uh, delayed in its filming because apparently she got like strep throat. So, you know, the, the kissing pits, they had to like delay because they didn't want Kirk to get sick. Oh, right? uh, yeah. Shatner, yeah. Can't release the episode without Shatner getting to make out with someone. Exactly. Scotty tells Kirk that things are on their way, but, you know, they, if they don't want to stay there forever, things have, you know, deteriorated and they have to leave in like 30 minutes for no mcguffin reasons yeah they uh the, the, the weirdness effect that they were experiencing that got them in the first place is going to go away in a certain amount of time uh which is a, a clock that's much shorter than the spock's going to kill them clock which is shorter than the 12 hour clock that kirk gave the people down below uh yeah so we got nested clock situation <laughs> to paraphrase dune clocks within clocks within clocks <laughs> Well, Anna turns on the Tantalus TV and starts watching Kirk. So now we know that everything we see is being observed. Yes. And it does also kind of beg the question of why does, you know, you know Mirror Universe Kirk let her know about this field device here? Because it could be that if she is ever too pissed at him and just happens to be in his quarters at the time, which apparently she can just kind of come in whenever she feels like, she could just sort of make him zap away and... Uh, forever and like well so spock you need a girlfriend it was a dumb idea given especially given how he treats women yeah he would be dead within 15 minutes or so of her finding out about this thing well then again maybe mirror universe kirk is actually like super respectful of women he's just an That's asshole about everything else. they're just opposites <laughs> so he's like yeah you're like only person i can trust so i'm you know and, and you've earned your trust you know, this trust and i'm going to be super kind to you and all this uh, fun stuff and make you super happy forever and so yeah <laughs> we see that spock has figured out he should be asking the computer about what's been going on with kirk and things and he discovers the program that kirk and company were working on to make the transporters send them back and then you know it's like computers like classified research and then there's this beeping noise but it's about time for things to get underway, so Kirk makes his way to the transporter and tells Uhura to create that distraction. Hey, Sulu, look at me! Yeah, Uhura then flirts with Sulu for a bit to distract him, then slaps him, then pulls a knife on him, and then backs out of the bridge. It's sort of, I guess, a very uh, horrific uh, play of on the, the concept of, you know... Uh, hard to get she sort of is like you i rejected you before but you're supposed to come after me again and he's like oh yeah and then she's just like okay we're here and then i'm gonna reject you again and and yeah all that sort of stuff and that true yeah it's it's a really weird one because everything they say is horrible mm -hmm. it's supposed to be framed as just her doing whatever to distract him though it's also then just basically the woman acting sexy to distract people, which is a worn worn out trope to begin with. Yes. Even by this era. So I guess I'm chalking that one up to misogyny. That one's bad. <laughs> Throw it in the bad pile. Uh, uh, I guess if you're going to distract the evil version of Sulu, this is the way to do it? Question mark? I guess. <laughs> uh, I guess. Unless you somehow discover he's good at like you know really into chess or something like that it's like hey we're gonna play a game of chess right now <laughs> that would have been better yeah <laughs> absurd but better the whole thing's absurd why yes. stop now 
Kirk is messing around with the transporter when evil Spock enters and draws a gun on him. Dun dun dun. Orders Kirk to come with him to sick bay where they find the rest of the landing party. Well, landing party. They have a very awkward and drawn out fight sequence until Uhura eventually knocks out Spock with a big vase. Hmm. I hear you like flowers. McCoy then immediately starts to get Spock on the operating table, which is going to delay them. But if he doesn't do it, Spock's going to die. Okay. Well, I guess McCoy's like, I need to like, preserve life and be a, a good doctor. He might be like an evil, you know, evil clone of, of our Spock, but I guess I should be like respectful of life. We see Marlena is still watching as Sulu and three of his men enter. They threaten to kill Kirk again. Sulu, I'm being threatened by Sulu. Marlena uses the magic TV to make all the guards disappear, but then turns it off to leave Kirk to fight Sulu when he knocks him out pretty easily. So I guess that wasn't a bad decision. We're not allowed to kill main characters, even if they are in alternate universes. Well, I got some thoughts about, you know, the, the murder of main characters later, but, you know, going on. <laughs> I guess Sulu's fine because McCoy doesn't seem to want to put him on an operating table. He's only mildly injured. He tells everyone else to just go ahead and that he'll catch up later. They all run into the transporter where they see Marlena. Oh, hello there. Um, are you here to see us off? She wants to go with them and is threatening them with a phaser to do so. Kirk refuses because they've only calibrated the thing to bring back the party that they came with, but she, who is very observant, sees that one of them is not there. Hmm... I'm going to take McCoy's spot. <laughs> but Uhura disarms her. Then uh, there's no further discussion and they're out of danger now. Remember what I said so. earlier about Uhura kicking your ass? Yep. Uhura definitely does a lot more ass kicking in this episode. Yes. But now the transporter power goes down. It's just one thing after another, isn't it? Yes. You know, somebody has cut it off from engineering. Ugh. Drat. So now, instead of being able to use the automated beam-out function, someone will have to stay behind, and of course, Kirk volunteers to do it. Yeah, because, you know, Action Man Kirk has to be the Action Man. But then Spock enters with McCoy. Spock tells them that he just turned it off so that he had time to get there and talk to them before they left, and turns it back on. Yeah, well, um, thank you? Spock wants his captain back, because things were working out really well for him. Yeah. So... <laughs> You know, go away, give me back my captain, everything will be fine. And uh, don't mind that whole planet we're about to murder, uh, yeah. But Kirk wants to spend his last five minutes here logicking at him. So, here we go. Yes. <laughs> he asks Spock about how long this Empire thing is going to last, and Spock says, eh, about a hundred years or so. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Kirk then does this weird thing of like, it is illogical to hold up an empire that is doomed to fail, which, nope, not really, but fine. <laughs> By that logic, you should never support anything because all things are finite. Yes, oh no, our civilization is going to last only um, 100,000 years. Uh, I guess we should give up at the start. But then he tells Spock that he could use his logic and he could improve stuff. He could find a logical reason not to kill the planet and make it stick and he could improve the empire and Spock goes I'll get killed if I do that and then Kirk goes oh yeah I've got a magic machine that'll let you take over the universe Spock goes hmm yes oh this magic machine you say hmm maybe I don't need my old Kirk back <laughs> they leave Spock says captain I will consider it which I guess means I'm gonna ch change the world I, I, uh, sometimes you know, you know change does uh, start with someone getting the idea in their head that maybe things could be better 
So uh, I guess so good. Back in normal verse, McCoy and Kirk are trying to make fun of Spock for being evil, but Spock goes, "You, you don't have room to talk here. I spent time with your counterparts." <laughs> you know, you know they, they were they're the best sort of uh, you know examples of humanity I've ever met. Yeah, this is the best. The, their comedy bits at the end are getting better. Because I'm not sure, but I think we've been insulted. McCoy <laughs> just crosses his R's says, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> then we have... Uh, but then... One more thing. Marlena enters, says she just got transferred here, and Kirk runs off to stand next to her as we fade out to the end. Uh, I would like to point out that this uh, little bit at the end with Marlena uh, was actually repurposed for another episode of Star Trek down the line. I know, which just makes it so awkward in that one. Yes. <laughs> just this weird Kirk smile, you know, it's kind of creepy and uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> if it, We're not going to go hugely into it, but pe- if people have not seen the DS9 episode Trials and Tribulations, it is probably the best episode of DS9 hands down, and they use a lot of things from the original series in it. Yes, uh, you know, uh, recut bits, you know, and uh, you know, composited of the uh, you know, the you know, the DS9 actors and the scenes that are in the original series. But we'll we'll talk a little more a lot more about that when we get to that episode. So. In five years, <laughs> or you know, in the the Trouble of Tribbles originally too. That's true. Yeah, this reminds me of something. <laughs> Another episode of Star Trek. Hmm. <laughs> I've been so very, very torn on what to say about Mir Mir. Yeah, same thing. Because we we've already kind of you know touched on that the you know the you know alternative universe uh, thing is, is sort of a well established trope uh, you know to us and probably a lot of our viewers or uh, listeners I guess. Um, and so it, you know, it's it's something that we kind of thought about as a society a lot. So yeah, where do we go from there? <laughs> Well, part of the thing with this for me is Mirror Mirror used to be one of my favorite episodes when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I have pictures of me in a Mirror Spock outfit that I made for a Star Trek convention when I was a teenager. Neat. And I like even just got obsessed with the Terran Empire thing. I just loved the concept of this weird fascist version of the Federation. They don't do anything with it, though. I remembered them doing something with it, and I think I was just mixing in other stuff that I learned later from, like, the Expanded Universe and DS9 and then later Enterprise. And that made it interesting. This episode doesn't present anything interesting. It's sort of, okay, we were trapped here, we're introducing this as a thing, and, uh, you know, as far as the you know, the original series here, if they had had uh, a second or a third encounter with this, uh, you know, alternative uh, universe uh, that it sort of became a, it's like, oh, there's this other thing sort of building off that. That would have been kind of fantastic, but this is, you know, just a one-off, really, (laughs) as far as this series is concerned. Also, the particular thing with this, there's so much wasted opportunity in this episode because it seems, I want to say it seems fairly obvious, but again, I might be drawing from later stuff. They're they're dealing with so much quasi-fascist imagery. Yeah, I were uh, I didn't even you know talk about the uh, the 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 hand salutes there. <clears throat> yeah, the hand salutes. All their their symbols are like a a kind of line drawing of Earth with a big dagger sticking through it. 
When you want to stab your planets. That's on all the doors and everything. Uh, they they reference it as an empire a few times. They they aren't doing fascism. They're doing bad pirates. Uh, to a certain extent, yeah. You know, it's or maybe they're they're bad pirates that are pretending to be fascists. Hmm. See, I I don't know. Maybe they're just not far enough away from it at this point in history to be able to do a nuanced examination of fascism and why it's bad. Oh. But if if this was an actual kind of fascist organization, the internal structure would be fine. Like your military would still run normally. You wouldn't have this killing each other for advancement and everyone hiring private goons on the ship. Like you, the, the entire thing with fascism is the people who are in the in-group are generally fine and happy. And in fact, it's sort of how it's, why it's designed as it is, is to preserve the you know, you know, privileges of, a, uh, of the, you know, you know, the core group while excluding and uh, you know, exploiting pretty much everyone else is outside of that. So that's my thing with this is why the mere universe episode of Star Trek Enterprise is actually so much better despite the general quality of Enterprise as a show being worse than the original series because they did a fascist organization. They are like very human centric and they treat all non-humans on the ship as second-class citizens who they, you know, regularly just torture and abuse for no reason. Oh, uh, definitely much more of the, the proper vibe for trying to do this kind of trope. Because they just did bad pirates, it's also not really a good examination for the characters either because the characters are just acting weird and evil instead of getting into anything like, you know, what if... Kirk, but raised in a fascist dictatorship. You know, uh, would this be, uh, you know, a recognizable Kirk in some fashion, or will it just be completely bought into the uh, the party line there? The also thing with this is they would still believe themselves to be doing good things. They would believe themselves to be doing the right thing, and this is just the way that you go about doing the right thing. You have to kill these people to create an example because, you know, the dilithium is needed to strengthen the empire and preserve peace or whatever. Well, they do do a little bit of that here. Uh, you know, it's a, Spock gives the uh, sort of reasonings like, yes, we have to sh make an example of these people for their defiance against the empire. You know, you, want, you know this, Captain. <laughs> but it's not done in any kind of like examination type of way. It's just no. this casual one line of like, this is why we're doing this. And it's created your first ticking clock event. Yes. <laughs> It was more of a, this is, we need something to sort of justify this, otherwise there's no point. As opposed to, this is how it actually worked. <laughs> I honestly feel like this kind of thing, which, like, you, you definitely need, I'm not trying to argue against any kind of dematization of fascism, because it's a horrible, it's a horrible state of organization that leads to atrocities and horrible actions by people Indeed. and is not a good thing to go toward. You know, this might surprise people, but I agree with Gepwin here. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like the way they depicted fascism in this era, because it's so close to both 
World War II and also kind of uh, communist fascism under Stalin. Mm -hmm. They're demonizing it in the wrong way. They're demonizing it by saying everyone who is in there is just flat out evil, is a twisted evil version of humanity as an individual. But uh, the the problem is that you know if you were to go into a, you know your 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 nineteen your early nineteen forties Germany before you know, you know before the Allied invasion and all that you know the the you know the run of the mill like suburbanite fascists there were friendly people who you know just went to barbecues or did whatever they I guess the equivalent would be in Germany at the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, just like, oh yeah, there's all this stuff going on in the war and we're, we're doing our part, you know, you know, our, you know, our little Billy's gone off to fight and things like that, but everything's uh, hunky dory and, you know, and, uh, how, how are the kids? And, uh, and, and it's sort of a, you know, there's, you know, it might seem kind of like bizarro to think about folks living in that situation, uh, you know, sort of acting normal because everyone has this, you know, sort of Hollywood vision of, you know, this, this, uh, you know, curled mustache and this uh, over the top, you know, you know, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, iconography, you know, literally everywhere. Uh, but the thing about fascism is that one of the thing that makes it very potent is how it can turn normal people in, you know, into endorsing a system that is just horrific. <laughs> yeah. So what if you like, what if you showed up on this ship and it was shinier and cleaner looking and everyone was a little bit more disciplined but seemed to be doing better and kept talking about how much they were how much good they were doing for the universe and then everyone is like confused and they're still trying to blend in but they're like oh what's going on why is everything going so much better here and then they're like oh they didn't agree with us bomb the planet and they're like oh my god this is horrible yeah <laughs> That, that that would have been a more uh, you know one two punch there as far as you know you know effectiveness goes you know because uh, you know was, you know fascism as I said before is 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 very it's designed to be seductive. But I understand you can't do that in this era because you're still working off of the you're still working off the propaganda image of fascism coming out of World War Two. Yes. So you have to stick with that version at least for a while because that's what's in the public consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's just not a very good or nuanced exploration of what's going on, and it makes me feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities. It's like, yeah, you know, Star, Star Trek, you had an opportunity to be once again ahead of your time, but you, know, you kind of bungled it. Sorry. Even with Spock, they have such a weird relationship with logic on this show yeah. <laughs> i guess the, the way logic tends to work in this show is that someone comes up with an idea and it's like okay i'm going to lead you through a series of logical hoops that gets you to exactly the conclusion i want you to make and you're going to assume that this is going this is just how logic works and that the person who is being uh you know, who's, who's trying attempting to be logical and led through the through this process isn't ever going to consider alternative options the other weird thing with it, though, aside from them not using it particularly well, how they actually think of logic as a concept seems to be this weird shifting point they can't quite pin down. Because you're supposed to not like Spock for being completely logical, but you're supposed to like Kirk for being completely logical, unless you're supposed to like Kirk for being completely emotional. In which case, you double hate Spock. <laughs> uh, 
And I, I wanted them to do more with the logic because you could have this very interesting thing to show how logic can be used to justify anything. Just kind of comes down to you know what your initial premises are, what your you know your particularly collected evidence is, and how you happen to put it together on your first try. Yeah, your only particular problem that you hit when you're using logic is where your premises start, mm -hmm. but you have to have some you know framework for picking your premises. And if you're working out of a fascist frame shirt, you're going to pick fascist premises. Exactly. Then after that, the logic will follow normally. It will all make sense. It will be internally consistent, and it will get you to a horrific conclusion. More important to be, cons you, know, you know, more consideration needs to be put into that realization of your premises. And it's weird that they treated Spock like he was better than everyone else in here, partially because he was thinking logic. So. He's like the nicest person they encounter in this universe. And, and in, the, in the universe, the, the justification is that he doesn't want to die. <laughs> well, it's also a very interesting one because it's basically giving you a good propaganda version of libertarian enlightened self-interest. Oh, but yeah. Hmm. Because you're supposed to look at this and go, well, Kurt, like Spock is looking out for himself. He's only looking out for himself. Yeah, I guess. But because looking out for himself involves keeping other people safe, look how well that's working out. So I've uh, this does kind of remind me of a uh, another take I've I've heard about the mirror universe that it isn't you know quote the evil version of everyone, but the version of everyone that is uh, generally more self interested, and uh, so that you know it's very and so, and so as opposed to having high ideals about universal brotherhood or whatever, you got, uh, you know, a, 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 a nation state that is built about domination and conquest for the people. And so, you know, and, and then in the case of Spock, he's like, well, I, my self-interest version is I'm not going to necessarily consider the needs of the many. I'm just going to consider the needs of the Spock. But he doesn't exactly like he gives this kind of line of like not wanting the target on his back, but he's still the second in command. Yes. He has, <laughs> a significant target on his back he still needs to hire bodyguards and goons and things yes and he has to watch out for the guy on you know above him as well who also has this death device yeah he has to watch out not to threaten kirk too much mm -hmm. but he also has to watch out for everyone below him i mean arguably being the captain paints a bigger target on your back from everyone below you but you only have to watch out in one direction mm -hmm. i guess uh well, I was um uh, I, I haven't read the book, so forgive me on this, but I did watch the uh, the uh, 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 movie adaptation of uh, the the Color of Magic by the uh, the Terry Pratchett, right? And mm -hmm. uh, you know, it involves a plot involving a wizard who's basically murdering his way up through the chain of command. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you don't start with killing the guy at up top. You wait for that guy until the, near the end. You take out everyone in between you and that guy until you're in the right position to pull it off. Yeah. If you kill the guy at the top, you don't get to just take over. Yeah. <laughs> and who knows, maybe along the lines, you'll be putting someone in with the more capabilities up top that you're not going to be able to handle. But if they are the last person between you and the guy who is on top, then you you might be able to team up against that character. Well, I wish they did more with the logic on Spock. Because it would be a very, very interesting opportunity to examine what happens when you 
try to have emotionless logic disconnected from morality mm-hmm. or with a different set of morality. Because even like you were saying, with if everyone's more self-interested in this universe, that's still a structural problem. It's whatever philosophy they're using that frames morality in that individualistic way. Yes. And you you get what they claim is this, but it's not really. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to square those two things, too. They like The end is really weird, because they try to have Spock convinced logically that supporting this empire is wrong. But the only things that they give him for doing so are that the empire is going to fail, which I suppose is more self-interest because you won't want to be part of a failed empire, and that he can have ultimate power. The only thing that they tell Spock that convinces him of any possibility of changing the system is that he can have ultimate power. Ultimate power, that the power to basically remake the world as you see fit. Um, It's very dangerous, even for someone who is supposed to be more logical than everyone else in this universe. Because, uh, you know, once again, come you know different premises, you could potentially become just as much a monster as everyone else is, and, you know, all that fun jazz. Uh, however, I will point out, uh, didn't he, uh, didn't Spock also mind meld with McCoy at one point? Yep. So maybe he stole all his thoughts, including his base premises, and he's still kind of sorting them out at the end there. Maybe? I mean, if he, if he mind melded <laughs> with McCoy, he should have just been going, oh, wow, the other universe is way racist. Like, you know, I managed to do okay here, and then no one insults me for being a Vulcan. But this McCoy character, wow, he really hates me in this other universe. <laughs> I feel like the other problem that we hit in trying to examine what they're trying to do here, they, they don't give you enough information on how anything here works. True. They give you a little bit of, like, the Federation is evil now. That's about it. It's just evil for the sake of being evil. For the evils. Everyone on the ship is evil for the sake of being evil. And the characters aren't different enough. It shows you just how evil the characters usually are. Well, here's maybe an idea that would require, you know, more things to be in the episode to really justify it. But what if the, the wackiness of this particular enterprise is more unique as far as this Terran Empire is concerned? That maybe the uh, the like you know the, the the pain discipline is like a Kirk special, that he's just that kind of weirdo uh, that everyone has to be suffering in the pain, and uh, and the burning your way to the top stuff is is happens more here because he's sort of cultivating a uh, a, a a local culture of it, that maybe things are a little different further afield. That would be better. They still didn't you know say any of it. Yes. <laughs> But it would kind of require that certain things to be sort of treated differently. Like maybe everyone's like kind of super okay with this new friendlier Kirk. And they're like, maybe we don't want him to go. He's less of an asshole. <laughs> that could be more interesting. Instead, he, he slips into the role so easily. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really act any different than he normally does. People get a little bit of just from him not wanting to kill as many people. Hmm, you're not as bloodthirsty as usual. This is out of the ordinary. Like, everyone acts more or less the same way that they always do. Yeah, including Chekhov. the people who are supposed to be part of this, you know, evil empire universe. I will say that Chekhov is a little bit more murder-happy, but only slightly. <laughs> yeah, only a little bit. He's still <laughs> laughing his head off at the things. It's just, 
Sulu like did exactly this during the drunk episode. There's there's nothing new. Wait a moment. What if this is just a continuation of the drunk episode? That everything in this enterprise is the result of them managing to get out of the situation without being killed, and they're just you know, and the the disease has got, taken its full course. So the entire <laughs> thing is actually just everyone in the Federation has the drunk disease. Yep. <laughs> you know the the enterprise spread it around, and you know six months later, it's like yeah, we don't need a Federation. Let's have some sort of crazy empire, man. Could be more interesting. <laughs> it just bugs me. That they, they took such an interesting premise and turned it into, we are a bad stereotype of pirates. A little bit, yeah. Opportunity, that was missed. I think is perhaps the, uh, the, the, uh, the takeaway for all that. And I think, I don't know, I can go in, we can go in more to what they could have done. The, the problem that I'm hitting here is the episode's not actually trying to discuss anything. It's basically trying to be a big look how great we are for not being buck rogers and for being nice to people but it just demonstrates how much they are buck rogers and how much they aren't being nice to people pretty much uh i guess you know in a even you know less uh you know favorable view that could be had uh it's basically let's have a situation where we have some drama and that's kind of all it yeah, but they didn't even <laughs> do that. Yeah, well, they tried to. It just, you know, some 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 exchanges were kind of you know interesting as you know as far as like the, you know, the how the actors sort of pull it off, but the the content maybe just doesn't quite work. So, and they took out anything interesting from they took out any anything interesting from the drama, and they they didn't give enough time to develop anything frustratingly because they needed the big bit in the middle where kirk makes out with someone this is well this is, it establishes that this alternative kirk is someone who's not married to the enterprise ah i guess that's true there you go <laughs> the other thing that i just realized that i think was the thing that made this episode really not function as well as it should have they brought the entire main cast over it would have been better if it was just one person, if it was maybe just Scotty or something, because then you'd get to see how evil Kirk works and you get to see evil McCoy. Yes, you get to see to, yeah. all the interesting characters. As opposed to just a few moments with, you know, you know, them ranting and raving in a cell. Yeah, you get evil Spock, who's not that different from normal Spock, and that's it. Everyone else is a side character. Well, how about, how about, like, make it even, like, you know, you know, super extreme, like, it's like, that, you know, Lieutenant Kyle guy was, like, down on the, is part of the away team, and he comes up, and then, you know, like, you know, just on his own, and then everything's so different, and he's like, oh, oh, oh dear, I'm a red shirt, and I'm in a parallel universe, oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you would have had to do it with someone you know. This could have been a really good Chekhov episode. Oh, yeah. Give him a little bit of focus. Because, you know, so far, we, you know, we've only had comic reliefs relief so far, so... The other thing that you could have done too is just done it with uh, with DS9 rules where they don't have to switch bodies. Yeah. You could have had, you know, Kirk and somebody go over and Kirk and whoever are still there, just the evil version. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, have all four show up and then they run into their uh, themselves and a big fist fight uh, uh, breaks out. Uhura beats them all down. Yes. Well, which one is abs. the question? <laughs> 
So there's some fundamental flaws in this one. I I don't know. I want I still want to like it, but I can't remember why I liked it as a kid. I think I just liked the you know evil empire idea because like it was kind of Star Wars ish. Um, yeah, I did have a little bit of fun because I do enjoy some uh, levels of chewing the scenery. So <laughs> yeah, the only th- problem you hit with this is they already chew the scenery so much in the normal show. Yeah. You can't really go up much from there. But they're chewing it a different way. <laughs> Kind of. <laughs> uh, I've exhausted all my possibilities. And yeah, I've uh, already kind of poked at a couple of things I want to talk about. Uh, unless there's something else. If I'm forgetting something... Yeah, but am I forgetting something? I don't think so. All right. Our memories are failing us. So it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show. there i am mega isix from the alternative universe <laughs> and welcome to the game show portion of the show <laughs> and today we've tallied up all the points of the various kind of bits of the contestants activities and we have some glorious prizes to give out and hello Gepin from this universe are you ready hello. for this i don't do voices <laughs> well then perhaps we should just begin First off, we have the Evil Twin Award, which goes to everyone, ho-ho, because everyone is their own worst enemy, right? In this sort of situation, the people from the your universe is, you know, they think they're the nice ones, while the people from the evil universe think they are, ho. So everyone's the evil twin of each other. What do they win? They all can win razors, because if you shave your beard, no one will ever know you're evil. Hmm, very, very wise. Hmm, Spock should invest in, in extras. Our second award is, I'm a bricklayer, not a doctor, which goes to McCoy for claiming to not be an engineer, but then going and helping with engineering stuff anyway. What does he win, Gepwin? McCoy wins a scholarship to tech school because of all the things he claims he cannot do, but he also cannot doctor. Hmm, so apparently he's kind of a, you know, one of those uh, you know, jacks-of-all-trades. But is he competent or incompetent? Hmm. I guess it might come down to which universe we're in. Our third award is Carry the Whip Award for, you know, everyone who is uh, carrying one of those punishment devices. Because why did you, in the world, would you ever get, you know, allow yourself to carry one that functions? At least, you know, sabotage it. What do they win, Gepwin? That's a very good point, and they're all very stupid. <laughs> everyone in that universe wins a basic intro to behaviorism, because as we've discussed many times before, punishment is an incredibly bad way of maintaining discipline or training. Indeed. Perhaps they'll learn a few things, maybe become even more disciplined. Okay, disciplined at all. Ho ho! I think it's time for me to return to my home universe. Have fun with your normal isics. Ho! Thank you, Evil Izix, for joining us. I hope all of our evil contestants enjoy their evil prizes. And thank you all for joining us on the galaxy's favorite game show. And we're back to normal space, I guess. Yeah, that was weird. Where was I? Hmm. 
Next week, the Apple. Is it? Are we getting Macintoshes? Yeah, that'd be better. Hooray! <laughs> I I remember this one. I've seen it. They they lose orbit again. Oh, they should stop like you know coming in so close to planets. They really should. I don't know the. I remember this one being awkward as all get out. Hmm. I guess we'll find out if it's more awkward now, or or does it like get better with age somehow? It might be. Um, the apple is a fairly obvious reference to the biblical story. Yeah, something about you know trees of knowledge, maybe. Maybe, or giant snake totem lizard things of knowledge. Hmm. Yes. You know, temptation of of you know you know I'm going to whisper you to do things. I guess. Yeah, I don't remember enough about this one. There's some people in red face. That's fun. Uh-oh. I don't think I, I've seen this one, so... <laughs> yeah, weird wigs. So they, they meet proper aliens. They got weird wigs and face paint. Well, that's something at least. And they all worship a stone deity thingy, and it the Enterprise is going to crash. That's about all I remember. I'm looking at the uh, some photos now, and there's some glowing eyes involved. Excellent. Yep. That would be the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll figure out what on earth is going on with that and hopefully have an episode that doesn't waste an interesting premise. I'm not uh, hopeful. (laughs) Maybe we'll avoid wasting interesting premise, but then give us a premise that makes us uncomfortable in other ways. Seems likely. (laughs) And we'll find out how uncomfortable that is next week on Watches of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, everyone's to be sacrificed to the final incarnation of Skynet. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come if you enjoy our podcast make sure to subscribe for more and where possible make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review you may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash and twitter at Gepwin. you may find me dr isix on youtube.com slash dr and twitter at isixlp Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.